How are you this morning? Happy Father's Day. Um, my name is Jim Schwank. I'm uh, thrilled to be here with you today. Um, you probably don't know this uh, because I believe this is the first time I've ever preached at Palmyra, but my family has a unique, several unique connections to the Palmyra Church. First of all, two of our favorite people in the world were pastors of this church. Uh, your current pastor, who, of course, sadly, is moving on from Palmyra, Charles Walker, was one of my students uh, back when I taught at Evangelical Seminary. I know teachers aren't supposed to have favorites, but if you're a teacher, you know that you really do have favorites. And um, I would put Charles in my top five for sure, probably my top three. Uh, he was one, uh, not only was he a, a, a fun student to have in class, but um, he and Kathy were instrumental in helping us through some, some tough times in our life. So I know he's a great pastor because he was a, a good pastor to me and, and my family. But another pastoral couple who was here, now this is going back, um, Charles and uh, uh, Etta Barner uh, were are two of our favorite people in the world. Um, thanks to Charlie and Etta, my family was able to travel internationally for the first time. They were just, uh, well, you know. Those of you that know them, know them. And, uh, you know, they were, they were just, uh, I'm getting choked up a little bit now. Um, they were just really important people to us, and, and uh, certainly we miss them not being around. But there's another connection from the other side of the family. Um, my wife, Lori, grew up in the Millerton Wesleyan Church, which is all the way up in Tioga County, way up on the New York State border. And long before I knew Lori, she attended that church with John and Judy Gordon. And then, years later, when I met Lori... Uh, and we would go back to Millerton once in a while, you know, we realized that there was this connection. And then, doesn't John get called by God to be a pastor? And my home church was Emmanuel E.C. Church in Dreyersville. My dad was the pastor there for 32 years, and when he retired, guess who became the pastor of that church? John Gordon. <laughs> So you can see we've got a unique, a number of unique connections with Palmyra Church, so it's really fun for us to be here, and uh, we just live down the road in Anvil now, so it's uh, fun to be in our neighborhood. So all of that, sorry for the long introduction, but I uh, just wanted to say thank you for having us here and, and let you know the unique connections that our family has with uh, Palmyra Church. Uh, as far as that goes, uh, you, you know your church better than I do. What's going on as far as announcements go? You saw them up on the board. Are there any announcements that need to be made from the floor that you'd like to share to get out, out there in front of your people? Got one coming right here. Hey, this isn't an announcement so much as a recognition, but could we have Maya come up? Oh, she looks so happy. <laughs> Maya just recently graduated from high school, and so to honor that achievement and congratulations from your church family, we'd like to present you with this Bible. Okay? Hopefully moving forward, there's some study applications and things that you might find helpful as you move forward, but we're just so thankful you're part of our congregation and proud of all you that achieved, and what are your plans moving forward? Um, I'm going to Millersville University to major in early childhood education. All right. Awesome. That's awesome. So <laughs> congratulations to Maya and blessings as you move forward and, and further your, your, your education. So thank you. There's a bunch of people in my family that are marauders. So congratulations. Congratulations. Anything else? All right, from the, from the word of the Lord, these words. Would you stand, please? Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of its builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it does no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. 
Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers in the city gates. Let's worship the Lord together. Good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. I have my Father's Day shirt on today that my dog got for me. Um, We're without a drummer, so we'll try to keep a steady tempo as best as we can here.
As we prepare our hearts for prayer this morning, I'm wondering if there are any praises you'd like to share with uh, our, our gathered family, uh, or if there are praise, uh, I'm sorry, prayer requests that you'd like to share. Just uh, give a hand waggle and someone will bring that microphone to you. Right front here.
Turn it on. And then I And his for his name? Jim. Oh, good, good name, good name. Well, I just happened to work at Jubilee, and we would love for you to bring some stuff if you need to get rid of it. <laughs> Anyone else? Up on top. This is on. Okay, two things from Zoom. First, um, the Longs are watching with us, and Jenny would like to thank everybody for the prayers for Mike's behalf and ask for continued prayer um, for good test results, and they won't have anything back until Friday for that, but praise and, and prayers for Mike. And then also from Jim Rothline, he has a praise that he's been commissioned to write an inspirational poem for um, t- two twins' 12th birthday. And so it's a praise, but then asks for prayer that he um, has some inspiration and, and can write something that he feels is, is acceptable and, and what they want. So. Oh, great. Thank you. Uh, we'd appreciate prayer for kind of our extended family. Um, I was actually in here in Palmyra yesterday up at Rothermel Finkenbinder, um, was asked to do a, a funeral for uh, part of our extended family, uh, Judy Endy. Uh, she was a longtime resident of this neck of the woods. Um, she passed away uh, after a long bout with cancer uh, earlier this week. And so we would just uh, appreciate prayer for uh, Judy's family, uh, her, her three children, uh, her boyfriend, and just the extended family that she leaves behind. Anyone else? All right, well, let's take some time and look to our Lord in prayer. Would you pray with me, please? It's so good, Lord, to be able to call you Father. Lord, all of us have have or have had a father. Some fathers um, were amazing, and we thank you for them and for the sacrifices that they made and for the, um, the way that they poured into our lives and spoke into our lives. And Lord, but some didn't have all those advantages of a present father. Maybe he was removed physically, geographically, or um, had already passed away and had gone home to his reward. Perhaps he was emotionally distant or just wasn't the kind of father that was easy to look up to. But Father, no matter what kind of father we had on this earth, we know that we have a heavenly father who loves us and cares for us and gave everything he possibly could for us. And so, Lord, today we say, thank you, Father. Thank you, Daddy, Abba, Father, for who you are. And thank you for those special men that you brought into our lives. Whether it was our biological father or not, Lord, we thank you that they were instrumental in maybe calling us back to you or introducing us to you for the first time. They provided for us, they took care of us, and were just there for us and still continue to be. So, Lord, Thank you for those special men and women that you bring into our lives who are so instrumental in making us who we are today. And God, your word teaches us that you are not a father who who can't be touched by our needs because you became flesh and you dwelled among us. And so, Lord, when we bring our prayer requests to you, we know we're not bringing prayer requests to you to someone who's out of touch, someone who's distant, but we know it's someone who's very near and not only empathizes with us, but is able to do something about the situations that we face. And so today, Lord, we pray for Jim as he travels home from the Middle East, ask that you would give him traveling mercies, that you would keep him uh, free from any disease or illness, and that you would get him back to those that he loves soon and safely. 
And we pray for his family as they move to a new situation, Lord. It's difficult to pack up memories and belongings from, from many years, perhaps at the same location, and to move to a new one. But Lord, I pray that it would be an easy move for them, that you would keep them safe, and as they sort through things and relive fond memories, Lord, that they would see this as a new adventure, a new opportunity to serve you. We pray for the longs for Ginny and for Mike as they wait for Mike's test results. We ask, Lord, that those test results would be um, to his advantage um, and that, Lord, they, the doctors would be able to uh, prescribe treatment uh, that will be perfect for his situation. And for Jim, who has been commissioned to write this inspirational poem, Lord, we pray that you would give him wisdom, that you would give him the words to say, much like um, you inspired others, people like David years ago, to write great poetry in the Bible. Lord, we pray that you would give Jim the words to say. And then we'd ask, Lord, that you'd be with Judy's family as they continue to come to grips with her loss. Thank you, Lord, that um, there were so many good memories and such a great time yesterday remembering her and honoring her. And tomorrow, Lord, as we say final farewells at the Gap, I pray that all would go smoothly, Lord, and that it would be another time of closure and, and, and fond farewell, but also an opportunity just to remember that it's not a, uh, not a goodbye, but a see you later. And Lord, today we pray especially for this congregation as they prepare to say uh, farewell to a much-loved pastor and his family. Lord, I just pray that you would put all the pieces together for the new individual that's coming to serve them and that you'd be with Charles and Kathy as they move on to Leesport. Lord, thank you that they were able to finally find a home. And Lord, I just pray that you would open great doors of ministry, not only here in Anvil, or here in Palmyra, uh, but Lord, in Leesport as well. Thank you, Father, for what this church means to us. And even though uh, the folks here may not have known all the connections until I shared them earlier, Lord, thank you for what this church has meant. And it just reminds us that the family of God isn't, it, it, it's a huge family, but it's also a close-knit family, that there are so many connections. And Lord, you, our Father, are responsible for that. And for this and this opportunity to worship you today, we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. It's 266. 
My favorite gospel writer is Luke, and so actually both this week and next week when I'm with you again, we're going to be looking at two different uh, events that Luke records for us, and I'd invite you to turn um, or look on the screen uh, to the gospel according to Luke, chapter 8, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 40 and reading through the end of the chapter, verse 56. Uh, Kind of a classic Father's Day passage, I believe, as uh, Jesus heals a girl, actually brings a girl back to life, uh, who had become sick. The father sought Jesus' help, and in the meantime, the little girl dies. Uh, So I'd like us to take a look today at the theme, a father's fear and a father's faith, from Luke chapter 8, beginning to read at verse 40. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, and the word actually can be translated his only child, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, He was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it, and Peter said, Master, the whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. He told him, your daughter is dead. There is no use troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith and she will be healed. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing, but he said, Stop the weeping! She isn't dead! She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him, because they all knew she had died. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, My child, get up! And at that moment, her life returned, and she immediately stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what had happened. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open our eyes today, that we might recognize Jesus. Would you open our ears that we might hear your voice? Would you open our minds that we might understand the Scriptures and think your thoughts? And Lord, would you open our hearts that we might fall in love with you all over again? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're a parent, you are well aware that fear and faith often go hand in hand when raising your children. And perhaps no other time in a parent's life is that more evident than in the the time immediately preceding, during, and right after the time that your child is born. And for some of us, we have a few years to remember that. But you probably do, as clearly as I do. The fears... Oh my goodness, especially for the first one. Will my child be okay? 
Will he be healthy? What if something goes wrong during the delivery? And even sometimes silly things like, do they have five toes or six? Should we even be bringing a child into this messed up world that we live in? What if I mess up? What if I'm a horrible father or mother? And where is the owner's manual that comes with these things? But at the same time, when we are surrounded by all of those fears, isn't hope right there? And faith at what this child could potentially become. We look forward, almost from the time that little one comes home with us, can't do anything for itself, and already we're thinking, oh, I can't wait until they smile. I can't wait until they start babbling. Oh, and, 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 and did you see him? They flipped over from their back to their front or their front to their back. And we look forward to the first steps and the first words and the hugs and the sloppy kisses and the whole future that lays before them, like a brand new book that you just cracked the cover of. It's definitely a time for fear and for faith. And while that may be the most obvious time that fear and faith as they relate to our children are so clearly intertwined, it certainly won't be the last time. Now, if you're a new parent, I don't want to scare you, but I'm going to scare you. Because my two are 33 and 30, and guess what? They still scare the dickens out of us. You're doing what? (laughs) You want to jump out of that perp? No, they haven't gone skydiving yet that I know of. But she wants to go up in a balloon. A hot air balloon? Really? I can say with a great deal of authority that fear and faith continue to be companions with your children and if you're so blessed with your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren until the time we're no longer on this earth. Jairus was having one of those days. One of those days where fear about his child's well-being and future could have overwhelmed him but he gathered up his faith. He left his daughter in the care of his wife and trusted servants and went to the one he trusted could help, a fearful father. The one who told him, quite simply, don't be afraid, just have faith. There's three areas that Jesus was addressing when he told Jairus, Don't be afraid, just have faith. And I'd like us to take a look at those briefly this morning. The first, Jesus was saying, don't be afraid, Jairus, just have faith, your daughter will be okay. So Jairus has traveled from some distance. We don't know where he came from. We don't know how far he had to travel. But he came specifically looking for Jesus because his daughter was sick. And like I said... The, the Greek is a little, a, a little sketchy there. We're not sure if, if he had other sons and the, the girl was his only daughter, or, like I said, it can just as legitimately be translated, this was his only child. This daughter that was sick was, may well have been his only child. Regardless of whether this was one of 12 or the only one, it was a child who was in desperate straits and Jairus went to the one that he knew could do something about it. Had he seen Jesus heal others? Had he just heard of Jesus' reputation? We don't know. But Jairus goes to Jesus with a simple request, wanting his daughter to be healed. Just have faith, Jairus. Your daughter will be okay. Easy for Jesus, right? 
touch somebody, speak a word, daughter would be healed. But we learn later in the story that Jairus gets word that not only is his daughter desperately ill, but she has died. And it's then that Jesus says, Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith and your daughter will be well. Can you imagine hearing those words? What Jairus must have felt? He's just been told his daughter is not just sick, but she's died. No hope, right? All hope is gone. But no. Jesus says, Jairus, I know this has come as a shock to you. Just stick with me. Just hold on and your child will be okay. You probably watch the news just like I do. And you look at the world in which we live. And just think, the last six weeks or so, we've had a shooting in a grocery store in Buffalo, New York. We had a school shooting in Texas. Just the other day, I heard there was an Episcopal church in, outside of Birmingham, Alabama, mass shooting. Goodness, you can't go to church, you can't go grocery shopping, you can't send your kids to school. We have, our, our daughter lives with us, and her, her two-year-old son lives with us, and we're like, what are we going to do with this kid? I'm not sure I want to send him anywhere. I want to wrap him in bubble wrap, keep him in the basement. Well, maybe not in the basement. That probably wouldn't be good. Uh, But we just want to build a fence around our house, barbed wire, big red lights, you know, guard dogs. What do you do? It's scary out there. And yet down through the ages, I got to hear Jesus' voice saying, Jim, Lori, Heather, don't be afraid. Just have faith. Noah's going to be okay. It's hard though, isn't it? I think sometimes it's best just to turn off the news and say, Jesus, I know the world's a mess. I know my child, I know my grandchildren have issues But I'm just going to trust you, Lord. I'm just going to tenaciously hold on to you, believing that my kids, my grandkids, my great-grandchildren are going to be okay. But I also think Jesus was telling Jairus, don't be afraid, Jairus. Just have faith in spite of distraction and delays. Poor Jairus. He's come running to Jesus. He wants Jesus to heal his daughter. And Jesus is on the way. And what happens? In the middle of this crowd, this lady who has had this horrible bleeding condition for years reaches up, touches the hem of Jesus' garment, and is healed instantly. I just, you know, and this is one reason why I love Luke. Luke's a doctor, remember? He's a physician. He's a classically trained Greek physician. And so what does he do? He, like, interrupts this story to tell us about another medical heal, another medical miracle. And in the meantime, Jairus' servants come and say, oh, don't bother with the master. Your daughter's dead. It's all over. Game's, Game's over. Poor Jairus. But what great news for this woman. This wonderful, poor woman who has had this horrible condition for years, who now she has had the miracle of healing take place in in her life and serves as another reminder to Jairus that Jesus can do the impossible. So although it was a distraction, although it was a delay... 
I think it was perfectly orchestrated so that Jairus, Jairus knew, even though his daughter was in the most dire strait she possibly could be in, it was going to be okay. And isn't that the way it is in our life? Maybe you have a child or grandchild who isn't walking with the Lord. And maybe you've been praying for that child for years. Maybe decades. Maybe their entire life to come to know Jesus. And nothing seems to click. Maybe you've been praying for healing for that child or that grandchild. And, you know, there's, there's remission and there, there seems to be progress. And then all of a sudden they go back for another blood test and just... More horrible news. We've all been there. This story of Jairus reminds us with Jesus, there may be delays from our perspective, there may be distractions, but don't be afraid. Just have faith. The other day, two of my co-workers and a former co-worker had gone out to lunch. And they were sitting at A&M Pizza over on the other side, of ten, other side of Lebanon. And, you know, they were talking about work and talking about stuff. And you know, three Christian brothers, so before lunch, they held hands and prayed. Lunch came, they ate talking about work, and, you know, not everything at work is always hunky-dory, unless I work at a place where maybe everything at your work is hunky-dory, I don't know. But, you know, they were complaining, and they were having a good time, and, you know, they were just sharing, swapping stories like friends do. And at the end of the meal, my friend tells me this 35, 40-year-old young man comes over to them, and out of the blue says to the three guys sitting at the table, I need to know how to follow Jesus. <laughs> you better be ready when that happens. And they looked at the one co-worker who has a little church over in Newmanstown, and they're like, I, I think this is yours, buddy. And right there at A&M Pizza, three brothers lead this young man to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, that's a cool story in and of itself. I don't know this young man. I don't know his backstory. But I like to imagine that he had a mom and dad who for the last four years were at home praying for him. And we're asking that someday God would bring somebody into his life who would be able to lead him to faith in Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, on one day in June of 2022, at A&M Pizza of all places, it happened. Lots of delays. Lots of distractions. But at that one moment, the Holy Spirit said, this is it. Don't be afraid. Just have faith in spite of all the distractions and delays. But then there's a third thing I believe Jesus was saying to Jairus that day. He was saying, Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith even though your reputation is at stake. Did you notice what Jairus' occupation was? Luke tells us twice. He tells us at the beginning of the story and halfway through when the woman touches the hem of his garment and is healed. He was a synagogue leader. Now, what does that mean? He was a Jewish religious leader. He was, in, in essence, what we would probably call today a rabbi, a leader in a Jewish synagogue. Okay, a reputable position in Israel, for goodness sake. You are one of the chosen leaders of a synagogue in a city in Israel. And by this time, 
the commentators tell us that doors in the synagogues were already closing to Jesus because people were recognizing him as the Messiah, and many in the Jewish system of the day did not recognize Jesus as the Messiah. So a lot of the doors were closing, even though Jesus still went to synagogue as a good Jewish young man, he would have worshipped there. The opportunities for him to speak in synagogues were, were closing. Jairus either heard about Jesus' reputation as a healer or had witnessed healings himself, or maybe he was just desperate. He wasn't sure Jesus was the Messiah or not. We don't know, but we've got to try something. We're going to try Jesus. And so despite what this would have done to his reputation... Despite the ridicule that he would have faced by his superiors for going to that false Messiah, Jesus. We don't know who he is, but he's certainly not the Messiah. Jairus says, I don't care. I don't care what this does to my reputation. I don't care if you laugh at me. And of course, people did laugh at him, not because he was the synagogue leader, but because Jesus is like, hey, your daughter's not dead. She's just asleep. I'm going to wake her up now. <laughs> Are you crazy? She's got no pulse. She's not breathing. Jairus says, I don't care. I don't care what this does to my reputation. I don't care how far I fall. It's all about my kid. It's about my child. And I will do anything I have to do to help her. So in spite of what this might do to his reputation, Jairus says, I'm going to Jesus. A lot of us have been probably walking with Jesus for some time and maybe we, don't, we haven't thought about our reputation for a long time. That's, that's old history. But you know, when you, especially when you're younger and when you first start following Jesus, and I suppose if you're older and you just start following Jesus too, it can be a shock to the people around you. What's this going to mean to my job? You know, maybe your boss asks you to do some sketchy things, and now all of a sudden as a follower of Jesus, you're going to say, uh, no, <laughs> won't do that. Maybe you're in a relationship with someone and that person can't quite accept you, the new you, <laughs> for who you are. And maybe it means that relationship has to end. Maybe you have friends at school or you know, in the community, and now all of a sudden, you know, well, if I start following Jesus, what's it going to mean to, you know, my social life and, you know, the places we go and the things that we do? Are people going to, you know, think I'm some kind of goody two-shoes now because, you know, I'm living for Jesus? Um, I've written a couple of, of academic books back in the day and, um, I have a couple of you know books on on the burner <laughs> right now. One of them's a novel, and and the other is a kind of a I don't know kind of a memoir, I guess you'd call it. I don't know. Uh, but that one's tentatively titled "Black Sheep: Confessions of an Evangelical Heretic." Oh, and we asked this guy to preach. <laughs> it's not that bad. But over the years, over you. Know, over 30 years of ministry and being licensed, being ordained, I, I quite frankly, I think we've done some things wrong. <laughs> the church is messed up. And it's kind of my uh, you know, admission for being part of the problem and sort of, uh, you know, what do we do now? If we've done these things wrong, you know, how do we change them in the future? You know, and, and make the church, from my perspective, reflect Jesus a little bit more accurately. And quite frankly, I think there's some people that are going to look at it and say, hmm, not sure if we like where he's coming from. 
not sure if we understand it, but just read the next page. <laughs> read the next page, get to the next chapters, all hang with it. I don't know what it will do to my reputation, and I really don't care. I'm 57 years old, and at this point, ah, I don't want to write it. There's some things in there I don't want to say, but I think I have to. And, And I think that's where we need to get. We need to stop worrying so much about our reputation and start worrying about Jesus's reputation. I love my grandfather. Um, my grandfather is one of my heroes, but I think he got some things wrong. And one of the things I think he got wrong, uh, he, he was a machinist, and he used to travel all over eastern Pennsylvania fixing stuff. I mean, he, I, I, I often say his spiritual gift was turning wrenches. And uh, I remember one time he told the story, um, I believe it was up in Danville, uh, up north, a little bit north of here. He... Um, was, was working at a place up there, and they had to stay overnight. And the only place in Danville at the time to eat had, was a bar, was, was basically a saloon. You know, the restaurant and the, the bar were all together. My grandfather was a complete teetotaler, except when my grandmother made mince pie. Then he had to go to the liquor store to get whiskey. And I think he went incognito. He probably wore dark glasses and a raincoat, and you know, I'm sure that he hated that. But he, he was in this restaurant, and the guys were up at the bar that he was working with, and he sat alone by himself, kind of over in the corner at a table. And, Francis, come on over, you know, sit up here at the bar. He said, nope, no thank you. You, we, we know you don't drink. Bring your Coke up here and sit at the bar with us. And he said, nope. Why not? Because you know I'm drinking a Coke, and I know I'm drinking a Coke, But what about the person that comes in off the street? They don't know I'm drinking a Coke. Now you may say, hey, Francis, that was great. I'd I'd gone up to the bar, sat with the guys. You know why? Because that's what Jesus would have done. You know, Jesus had a horrible reputation. Jesus had a horrible reputation when he was on this earth. Why? Because he hung out with those kind of people. Tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes. He let that woman wash his feet with her hair. Doesn't he know what she's really like? You bet he did. And that's why he hung out with her. Because he told Zacchaeus, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. If you only hang out with nice people, you're not going to hang out with lost people and you're not going to see anybody saved. It's that simple. It's that simple. Don't worry so much about your reputation. Jesus didn't. Just have faith. Your daughter will be okay. There have been times in this dad's life when fear for one of our children nearly overwhelmed us. There was the time when, I don't know, one-year-old Tyler decided to chase the cat down the cellar steps in his walker. He made it about two-thirds of the way down before he flipped it over. Wound up in the hospital that night. But more recently, we got a call every parent dreads. Your daughter's been in a car accident. She's been rendered unconscious. She's taken to the hospital. Everything stops. But your mind races and fear overwhelms you. She okay? Is when they say unconscious, do they mean unconscious? Do they mean dead? but you know what to do. You kind of go into automatic. You get to the hospital as fast as you can, and you pray. Thankfully, our our faith was not misplaced. Our prayers were answered, and she was fine. She was banged up. The car was totaled, sheared off a telephone pole. But she crashed in front of the home of a nurse 
who had just gotten home from work, treated her for shock, and wrapped her in this. To Noah's Ark blanket. All that symbolized to us. God who loves our children more than we do. Think about Noah's story for a minute. Why did God choose Noah? Why did God choose to save Noah? Because the Bible says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, it says. You notice it doesn't say anything about Mrs. Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth, their sons, or their wives. It just says Noah was a righteous man. Now, there were practical implications, obviously. If, Noah's gonna, if God's going to destroy the whole world, he's going to need people to repopulate it, right? Okay, so I think that's the reason why the three boys are spared and their wives. But, do you know one of Noah's sons was a scoundrel? Read the story sometime. After the ark, after the flood, one of Noah's sons dishonors his father in some way. The, the, the Bible is not clear. It says he uncovered his nakedness. I have my opinion what that means. I'm not going to go into detail, but I think that son did something inappropriate to his father. God saved him along with his other two brothers and along with Noah. God saved them all. Why? Because God loves our children. He loved Noah's children more than we love our children. And he wants what's best for them. Okay, that all sounds good, Jim, but what about the times when our prayers aren't answered? Not every child gets healed. Lots of children die. Lots of children are abused. What about those children that were killed in that school in Texas, huh? What do you have to say about that? Where's a good God in all that? Friends, he was right there in that school in Uvalde, Texas. He was right there with those little children who lost their lives. I'm not smart enough to know why he allowed it to happen, and I'm not going to stand here and try and explain it to you because I don't get it. I don't understand it. But I know he loves those children. And they are having one whale of a time in his presence right now. And I have a feeling there's a little beagle named Lucy there with him. That's my dog. <laughs> we had to put down last year. She would have bought me a shirt. My other dogs, they didn't buy me a shirt. She would have bought me a shirt. But all kidding aside, I don't understand why God allows some things to happen to some children and why he healed Jairus' daughter. But I know he's telling us, like he told people 150 times in the scriptures, I counted them this week, I know they're there. 150 times he told people in various states of their life, Fear not. Don't be afraid. And to Jairus, he was even more specific. Don't be afraid. Just have faith in a loving Father who will work things out to His glory in a beautiful way. I wasn't going to share this, and, and I know we're short on time. I want to share one more thing. I worked with a man a few years ago, Mark Cody is his name. 
Mark and his wife have three beautiful children, and she was pregnant with their fourth. And the doctors told them that this fourth child had her, her heart had not developed within her chest. Inside the womb, they were able to tell that her heart had developed outside of her body. There was nothing they could do. There was no surgery that could be done in vitro or out. It, the, the child would, would probably die almost immediately after, after being born. They should consider an abortion. They considered it for about three seconds and said, no, she's going to be born. And she was. Little Victoria Grace was born, and she did not live for a few minutes. She lived for six hours. That's not a lot of time. But it was far longer than the doctors predicted. And little Victoria Grace now has a city in Peru named after her. Why? Because Mark and Kristen love the children of Peru. I was with Mark on one trip to Peru, met a lot of those children, met some of those that were saved as a result of Victoria Grace. Because Mark and Kristen found out that there were children dying along the Amazon River tributaries in Peru because they were not able to get $4 worth of vitamins that were necessary for their survival. $4! You and I throw $4. We're paying $5 a gallon for gas. We throw $4 away. Some of us do. I don't. But some of us throw $4 away on a cup of coffee. $4. They started Victoria's, Victoria Grace's Little Lambs Fund, and they raised thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in her name for $4 worth of vitamins, and now there are hundreds and hundreds of little children in Peru, they're probably teenagers by this time, running around because Victoria Grace lived six hours. Don't be afraid. Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes our children don't make it. Sometimes they're sick. Sometimes they don't turn out the way we want them to. But just have faith. Just have faith. God will do great things. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for reminding us that you are a good good Father who loves us and loves our children more than we do. They're in good hands, Lord. Not because they're in our hands, but because they're in your hands. In Christ we pray. Amen. Our closing hymn is number 346. There's within my heart a melody Jesus whispers sweet and
And now may the peace of the Lord go with you wherever He may send you. May He guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May He bring you home rejoicing at the wonders He has shown you. May He bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.